Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. And, and it seems that, uh, that we are prone to forget God's promises and, and, and who He is. And probably the culmination of that is who we are in Him. See, identity is really an issue. And, and I'm pretty convinced that if we could solve the, our identity crisis, most of our issues of our life would, would, would fall away. If we could just remember who, who we are, whose we are, who we belong to, who we live for, uh, what our purpose is in that, m- most of the things of this world, the problems that we deal with in this world would, would go away. And so we've been talking about that in the book of Esther, really about Esther and Mordecai and all of the Jews remembering who they are, remembering uh, God's promises and, uh, and his care for his people. And, you know, again, here we are in the New Testament about 450 years later, 500 years later, and God's people needing to be reminded again. Now, the book of Ephesians Apart from being one of my favorite books, because I find it to be so deep and so rich, uh, you could read it numerous times and get different things, uh, meaningful truths from it each time. Uh, It is really about the grace that we find in Jesus Christ. Uh, There are many mysteries that are revealed to us in the book of Ephesians that do not come intuitively to us. Uh, one of those is, what does grace really mean and look like in the life of a believer? And so the book of Ephesians stands to tell us uh, what grace looks like in Christ, and then what does that look like in our everyday life, in our everyday relationships? What does it look like to believers? What does it look like when believers bring that into the body of Christ? What does it look like for a church to walk in grace? And then as importantly, what does it look like, finally, for us as individual Christians, for that grace to flow through us into our everyday relationships? You see, Christianity is not just something we are. It's it's everything that we are. And so our relationship with Jesus doesn't just affect us eternally, and it doesn't just affect us on Sunday mornings. Our faith in Jesus Christ affects our every day, every moment reality because we don't just come in and out of Jesus. We are in him. And because we are in him, it is in him that we have our being, the way we think, the way we process, though even the way we feel is to come under captivity to Christ. And so let's begin in in verse 1 together. Paul, an apostle, Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, This particular lesson is is pretty deep. And so if it helps, uh, you may need to set up uh, because it being deep, it it is so meaningful. It will answer so many of our everyday problems. Uh, But we're going to be doing this a lot in order to understand exactly what Paul is trying to say to us. Now, I will tell you from the outset, we'll do this from time to time, that some of, not most, some of 
a few of the oldest manuscripts we have, again, not all of them, omit the word Ephesus. Now, we don't know exactly why. Some say, well, this book is a circular letter, and indeed it is. Circular letter meaning it was to be given to one place, and that one place was to share it with another, share it with another, and it makes its circle around the churches. That's true. That's true of uh, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. All of these were circular letters. Each church received their own letter that they were to share. This is the church of Ephesians letter that they were to share. So why would they omit the word Ephesians or to the the faithful of of Ephesus? Well, most manuscripts don't omit that. And in fact, if you go back to uh, the context, it would be really weird if you just omitted the word Ephesus, which are what some of them do. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in but it doesn't say Ephesus. And so my suspicion is that a pastor, a very creative pastor, uh, in order to prove a point to his local church, said, what difference does it make which city the church is in? This book was written for all of us. And so as an ancient manuscript of the original, it carried on in, in some form. And so to the saints who are in insert church here. Now, the word apostle, when Paul reminds them of his apostleship, I believe this is very important because if you remember, it was the church at Ephesus that Paul loved so desperately. In fact, Paul ministered here, planted this church as a planting pastor for three years. And when God called him away from that church, remember, he talks about this in the book of Acts, where when they were down at the, at the boat and he was about to leave them to go on a missionary journey, they wept with tears. He and all of the, the elders of the church and the deacons of the church just wept bitterly on each other's shoulders. This shows us the depth of love that he had for these people. Now, that's very important for us, and it's endearing to us, but this is not the Paul, the church planter. This isn't Paul, the pastor. This is Paul, the apostle. Now, a church, a pastor, a church planter may speak of God's authority, but not necessarily in God's authority unless it uses God's word. But what Paul is saying, the word apostle means one who is sent one who is sent. In fact, it represent, he represents the one who sins. And so what Paul is declaring to this church who knows him as their former pastor, I am not speaking to you as your former pastor. I'm speaking to you on behalf of God himself. These are God's words and it is by the will of God that I bring them to you. So it's not just good advice or an old letter that we have This letter was written by the will of God. It is sent from Jesus himself. And they need to hear it. And more, they need to apply it. So, to the saints who are in Connect Church and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints, interesting. This is not because of their actions, which we usually think of as saints, as someone who is holy because they're a good person. But this word saints comes by the virtue that comes from being in Christ. There is no sainthood for the believer apart from being in Christ. It is Jesus that we are able to say that we are separated 
from the world. This is their ultimate identity, not in good works, not in being a church that Paul founded, but their identity is grounded in who Jesus is in them. Not what Jesus did on the cross, not what Jesus did in the tomb, not what Jesus did when he ascended, but the power of Jesus Christ in them that moment, moment by moment. We can walk in it. Our faith is not something that we believed happened. It's something that happened that we're still walking in the power of. It's a present reality as well. They're identified as saints solely because of the grace of God, not because of their actions. To be a saint means to to be set apart, to be useful. In the Christian context of sainthood, It means to be set apart as God's special possession. It means to be possessed of God, therefore used and directed by him. The second characteristic that Paul reminds them of is not only are they saints in Christ, but they're also faithful, trustworthy, fidelity. In fact, the Greek word is fidel. Pistos, in Christ Jesus. This in Christ follows both saints and faithful. The reason they're saints is because of the work of Jesus. And the reason that they're faithful is because of what? The work of Jesus. Everything that they are is because of Jesus. Verse 2. And by the way, we're only going to go to verse 6, so don't get nervous. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's not a lot to be said here, except if you go back and you look at the original languages, you'll find that this is the same greeting that Paul uses in every other letter that he wrote in the New Testament, except the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. These, These also include these words, but he also includes mercy. And so all the pastors are very grateful for the inclusion of mercy when he writes to the pastors. There would be two ways of looking at this, the reason why Paul is so prone to using the same introduction. One is that Paul's in a habit. Many of us, when we talk on the phone, we're in a habit. The way we say things, we're in a habit. The way we write, we're, we're in a habit. We get repetitious and we say the same thing over and over. But the second reason why maybe Paul does the same introduction to every letter is because he knows and the Spirit knows who is inspiring him to write this, that grace and peace are the point of our life and the motivation of the human heart. It's the number one reason that I believe, the number one goal of the human heart is to be at peace. I am convinced that every craving at the end of craving is, I just want to be at peace. I just want to be at peace. I want you to think about that. Every desire exists in order to try to produce peace. And there are some good things that we can do to produce peace. And there are some terrible things that we can do in order to try to produce peace. But the point is, we are desperate for peace. But I want you to understand that peace is only realized, it's only found on the other side of grace. And so today I'm going to be talking about two real realities. 
The only satisfaction of the human heart, the contentment that we can find where we are finally at peace, can only be found on the other side of in Christ. Because he is the Prince of Peace. To try to think, to try to find the, the peace that you're craving in any other source is, is truly folly. God's grace only, because of God's grace, can we have peace with God and the peace of God, Philippians says. So we can be reconciled with God because of God's grace extending to us. We can have the peace of God. And let me tell you, church, when you have the peace of God, you are filled with the peace that can flow from you, through you, into every other relationship. This is why we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. We are to be peacemakers everywhere we go. Not because we're good people. Not because we're faithful. Not even because we're holy or because we are saints. But because we have experienced the peace that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know how to give it away. When we have the peace with God and know that our relationship with him is satisfied, that's when we can truly live free. So grace, then, I know you, I'm not hung up. I'm just, what we're doing is we're working through this passage because what Paul is saying to us, all of these things are clues for the takeaways. So grace is the basis of our salvation. We're going to learn that in Ephesians chapter 2. And peace is the result of that grace. Peace is not a and also peace. Peace is the result of the grace we have with God. It's the fruit of reconciliation. Now, if you go into the New Testament, and, and even in New Testament times, you can see it documented when, when people were to exchange greetings to each other, what the church would say is they would say, grace to you, grace to you. You know, that's a way of saying, how are you doing? Or what's up? Or how's things? Say, grace to you. And they would respond by saying, and to you. But if you go into the Old Testament, the way the Jews would reference each other or communicate to each other, they would say, peace to you, shalom, peace to you, and to you. So it's interesting to me that what Paul does here in all of his letters written to Jews and Gentiles is he takes the Old Testament greeting and the New Testament greeting and puts them together. And there we find an incredible tension between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The law and the Spirit works and also grace. And he says here that the Father is the source, the origin of every and all blessing. There does not exist a blessing that does not originate from God. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And he gives to all without variation, meaning that he doesn't receive favorites, uh, faces, that when he, when he blesses, he doesn't consider what you look like or he doesn't consider his unique relationship with you. He gives to all willingly. So every blessing 
Think about God. Sometimes I feel like we, we, if we want to be blessed by God, sometimes we have to really sacrifice a lot to get his attention, and then we have to beg him to be good to us. But what Paul is telling the church is emphasis here, you don't have to beg. He wants to be generous with his blessing to us. And the Father made the order, and Jesus fulfilled it. So it's the Father's good pleasure to give gifts. It is his will to be a blessing to us, for us to be blessed. But secondarily, there is no mechanism for the Father to interact with humanity. See, sin, sin did not affect God's character. It only affected ours. But it, so God still wants to be a giver. He still wants to be a blessing giver. But now there's no mechanism to bestow that grace. And so there had to be an intermediary. And so every blessing that comes from the Father is through Jesus Christ, the righteous. Paul also uses here in verse 2 the word uh, kurios, which is uh, the Greek word for Lord. If you go back and you read the uh, Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, it uses the word kurios a lot when referring to the Lord, capital L. And that's an interesting word because when you start seeing Paul using it in the New Testament in Greek, all of the Jews would rip their clothes and say, blasphemy. So in order to really appreciate, Paul is calling Jesus Christ the Messiah here, the, the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. Many of these things are shrouded and hidden in English, but they're very obvious to the church at Ephesus. So Paul here wants you to know several things, and, and the Spirit wants them to know and us to know so it's preserved who we are and who he is. That number one, we are saints positionally. You're not a saint because of who you are. You're a saint because of who he is. Number two, that we are faithful because only of our belief and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Number three, that we are the object of God's grace. And that grace is not just for us, it's through us. And fourth, experiencing God's peace means that we are willing and able to bring peace to the rest of the world. Verse three, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here in every other letter, Paul usually puts pen to a prayer. But at this point, he launches into a moment of praise instead. And it's quite chaotic. It's almost like it's spontaneous. Paul can't, can't stop writing. In fact, if you go back to verse 3 all the way through verse 14, it is a... <laughs> Someone who cares about grammar is a nightmare. Because there's, it's a, verse 3 through verse 14 is a run on sentence. It doesn't stop. It's just boom, 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 boom. You can't, you can't take a breath. So listen, English teachers, the Holy Spirit doesn't care about grammar. Leave us alone. I'm just kidding. That's not true. That's not true. I'm from Eastern Kentucky, so I really appreciate that. But Paul specifically over and over is going to use this word us. And again, in English, it may not make much sense or we may not take notice of it. But to the Ephesians, the Ephesians are, is a church filled with Jews and, anybody want to guess? 
Gentiles. So when Paul says us, he's talking about people groups. Because the Jews always knew that God's grace and God's peace was for them. But now Paul is saying us in this church, that God's grace and God's peace is to all of us, that God has blessed all of us equally. Now listen, here's a problem that the Jews always had. And, and sometimes because they had the problem, we have the problem. And the problem is that God's, God chose the Jews to be his special people, like they had special privileges. Not true. Why were they God's chosen people? They were God's chosen people to give the message of the gospel to all the nations everywhere they went. That's why God set them apart was not to, not to give special treatment to someone, but to show the rest of the world what it looks like to be in a relationship with him. They were to be the first world's missionaries. But the Jews misunderstood it. They thought now that we are God's special people, we can kick back and just enjoy his blessing. So what Paul is doing here is saying that the blessings of God did not belong to the Jews because of their blood. They've always belonged to believers. God always gives his blessing to those who walk faithful. So Jews, you're not special because you're Jews but because you're faithful. Because the Jews that weren't faithful didn't get blessing, but cut off. So now we realize this mystery. So the Jews and Gentiles come together and form one body. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul will remind this same church that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice the repetition there to drive the message home, that there is only one body. There's not the, the Jews. I remember early, early, early in my uh, calling as a, as a pastor, I was at a church and... Uh, uh, there, there was some issues. I won't get into all of those now, but uh, boy, if I'd have known then, I would have said no, but I didn't know enough to say no, and so I said yes, and the Lord was able to, to work in incredible ways. Uh, I was only uh, 23, 24 years old, and they called me to be a senior pastor, uh, and the church uh, had, the, one of the churches that I was a part of uh, hadn't done great. We were trying to plant a church and uh, uh, they're in the area. And then another church had, had no people, but they had property. Another group, we had some, some people and no place to go. And, uh, and so we were able to merge those churches together and have incredible fruitful ministry there. The reason that I say that is one of the first things, in fact, before, they, before I let them vote on me, I had them take membership all over again. I had everybody stand, and I, and I had them take church membership so that no one that had been there for 20 or 30 years could say, we've been here longer, or this is ours, it's not yours. You know how people are. Sometimes there's territorial things. Uh, maybe you haven't experienced that, but you probably will. Uh, and so I thought, what a great solution to this. What we'll do is we'll strip all that down and say, nope, everybody in this church that's here now took membership on the exact same day. There is one body. There's not the ones who used to be here and the ones that are new. We're one. And that's one of the places where I 
the Lord taught me to do that was so that there couldn't be any favoritism given. Now, if you go in Genesis or Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then there is a clear deviation 4, 5, and 6. Now, Paul gives a lot of theology in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then he gives the practical application in chapter 4, 5, and 6. And so here in chapter 1, he's talking about us, but in chapter 4, he's talking about one body. Beginning in verse 3, as I've already mentioned, is a very long, complex sentence, and it is quite explosive with truths. A couple of things that I believe Paul wants us to know is that there is only one true God, the Father of Jesus. That's the only God there is, the Father of Jesus Christ. And it's very specific here because I think if you go into ancient Ephesus, lots has been written about Ephesus. And on every, every open space, there was some memorial to some Greek God. Everywhere you looked, there was something to denote the gods of this world. And I think what Paul is trying to drive home to these believers is don't forget, there's only one. And he is the father of Jesus Christ. And he is a blesser to us. One of the most important things to notice is that all, every spiritual blessing is a singular blessing. Yeah, I know it says all blessing, but wouldn't it say all blessings? But in the original language, and I know you're going to get tired of hearing me say that, but that's why it's so rich. There's only one blessing listed here, even though it says every and all, depending on the translation. What, what the word means is that this blessing is 100% complete. There's no missing part on this one singular blessing. That you either have this blessing or you do not have this blessing. You don't have some blessings and not some other blessings. It means it's complete without any missing parts. We have the full spiritual blessing by God through Jesus. We lack nothing. There is, I know a lot of people get paralyzed in their faith because they keep waiting on something else, waiting on something else. But the truth of the matter is this, it's just a simple yes because everything that God's going to give you, you already have in Christ Jesus. Every blessing comes from the Father through the Son. The word blessing means to speak well of or to give good to or to favor. So what could it possibly be? What is this singular blessing that we only need one of? Comfort. That's what a lot of us want when we talk about the blessing of God. Boy, think about it. Boy, God's really blessed me. What's that mean? Got a raise at work? Got the house I've always dreamed of? Got the new truck? Boy, what a blessing. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I know you've heard all of this stuff, and all of it points to the material, to this physical world. That's not the blessing. Most of the time, that's the curse. The blessing is only singular. The blessing doesn't come and go. The blessing is fixed. Pleasure, freedom, money, I know you've heard this one. God wants me to be happy. I'm blessed because I'm happy. What does that mean? It means I'm getting what I want right now. Right? Am I wrong? Well, these blessings from Christ are not temporary. 
These blessings that come from Christ aren't of this world. We have favor with God spiritually. What gives us that? Well, Paul says it's an ongoing act of faith, fidelity in the Son. What does that mean? That equates to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which empowers and informs our daily decision. That is the blessing that we receive from God, and there's no missing parts in it. When you say yes to Jesus and you walk actively obedient to him, you have the indwelling of the Spirit. And listen, brothers and sisters, to live obedient to Christ, you don't need any other blessing. That's all-inclusive. Every area of our life is affected by that one blessing that God gives without variation. And, and that blessing that he gives to us informs not only the world to come, but the world and the breath that we breathe this very moment. We have favor with God. How do we know? Our trust in Jesus How do I know that I trust Jesus? I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, our act of obedience, our act of obedience brings our awareness of spiritual blessing. When you are walking in the Spirit and you are living in the Spirit and you are aware of the blessing of the Spirit, I'm telling you, you will be able to see the blessing of God in your life in ways that the world can't produce it. And that will begin to inform every area of your life. And I don't, I don't mean to be ugly here for a moment, but you can profess whatever you want to profess. That could be meaningless. You can confess whatever you want to confess, meaningless. A lot of people say, there are Christians. Well, how do you know? Well, I confess. Confess what? Listen, here's how you know. You confess that Jesus is Lord. Meaning, he is the master of my moments. That's how you know that your confession is salvation. Is that Jesus is the kurios, the Messiah, the one sent by God and I walk in his steps. How do I know that I've said that? Look at your life. Look at the decisions you make. Are you being obedient to the spirits indwelling in your life? Or are you chasing comfort and pleasure and money and happiness? You see, we can proclaim anything. We can say, oh, I believe Jesus existed. Oh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. It's pretty meaningless. Unless you're walking in it daily, living in the blessing of it, Daily. How do you know you're living in the blessing of it? Because the blessing is flowing through you to others. I love this. In heavenly places. Some of your translations will say in the heavenlies. This phrase is actually found five times in Ephesians. He's not talking about in heaven. A lot of people misunderstand that and think that we are blessed in heaven. One day I'll receive my blessing. That's not what it means at all. This word heavenlies doesn't even imply that. Heavenly places is a heavenly realm. It's a spiritual dimension that exists right alongside this physical realm 
where spiritual beings already live, where, where angels dwell, where demons dwell, where God dwells, where the Son dwells, where the Spirit dwells, where your spirit lives if it is alive in Jesus Christ. You see, because of sin and because of our sinful nature, our spirits are dead. But when we say yes to Jesus, the spirit that was in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, makes our spirits alive and we experience his resurrection. And we are alive now spiritually, which, which means that we are straddling two worlds simultaneous. There is a spiritual world that is more real than the one you can see. And it is eternal. Why in this world would we satisfy ourselves by living in this temporary world that will melt away with a fervent heat not long from today? Why would we be satisfied with what we can see, what we can touch, when there is an eternal world that we live in simultaneously? So what Paul is saying is that this blessing that we receive by active holy living that we receive in Christ through the Spirit willed by the Father's good pleasure is available in the heavenly places. Which means, this is why Paul spends so much time talking about living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about, oh, what a day that will be. That day is today. We, we, Jesus' kingdom is coming and it is here. We already live in it. We can be aware of this reality or we can live in that reality today. And that's all Paul is trying to say is for those of you who are trying to live the blessed life, you need to make sure you're living in the Holy Spirit, empowered by him. So many times we, we live in this reality hoping for good things to happen, hoping that you know if I do good things, good things will happen. I better not do bad things or bad things will happen this balance system. I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to do better because I want good things. And, and when good things happen, you know, we kind of lift our hands and lift our voices. We go to church a little more often. And thank you, Jesus, for that. But the truth of the matter is what we ought to be doing is satisfied by the spiritual reality. And when we are content in Christ, at peace with the grace that we have experienced from him, that then affects the material world that we live in. And we're not dependent upon the roller coaster status quo of this world. We don't need more things and more stuff to be happy because we have blessing from our Father who loves us, Jesus Christ who died for us, and the Spirit of God that's empowering our every moment. What in the world could be a better blessing than that? And it's not contingent upon my breathing because as soon as my breathing stops, pff, I go right into eternity living exactly the same way. Paul's going to talk more about when you make that decision, there is a warfare that takes place in the spiritual world. Oh, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, your, your warfare is against principalities and powers of this world. It's, it's not the things you can see. When you, when you say yes to living in the Spirit, you're going to do battle with the things of this world. But you're guaranteed victory if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of your faith. See, that will order our lives around grace and peace in that world 
then we'll be able, we become the portal. Think of it this way. When we are rooted and grounded in Christ, we're living in the empowerment of the Spirit and we're, we're actively obeying the Spirit. What's gonna happen is you become a portal for the world to be able to see the grace and the peace that comes from God. But if you satisfy yourself with the grace and peace that comes in this world, you're just a good person. So you can be a good person or you can be a saint in Christ Jesus. In that realm, we are in Christ. As in Christ, we have all the blessing, all the favor that we need to be victorious in every area of life, including eternity. And that is the bulk of the book of Ephesians. Everything else is going to be just kind of living it out. Learning to live in another realm, into another reality. Learning to walk in another reality simultaneously with this one. And bringing the, the ears and the eyes and the hands and the benefits of that reality into this reality. Learning a new dependence, a new contentment, a new identity. You know, being in Christ is found 11 times in this sentence. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Us here is found three times as the subject to a verb. He chose us. But I notice this. It says even as or just as or according as. The point is that it is a continuation. Verse 4 is a continuation of verse 3. You see, we have blessing in the spiritual world that can manifest itself in the material world all because of Jesus. He gives us the opportunity to express his nature in this world that does not, it's cut off from his nature. This word chosen, I know you don't care about this, but it is past aorist tense. That means it's simple. Don't read too much into it. It's just a declaration statement. It's nondescript. The choosing is over though, that's the point. God doesn't go on choosing, he's already chosen. That's very important for what I'm about to teach. It's very important to hear this because it informs the rest of the book. I believe the implication is on the human race. It could also mean the church, the believers that we've already referred to. But it ties back to verse 3. We are chosen in Christ, not our merit. God chose us, the human race, or the church, the express personality of God. He's chosen us in Christ. He's chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, what? To be holy. You see what he chose? He didn't choose some for salvation and some for damnation. He chose all of those who would say yes to him, the manner by which they would live. Now, we can talk about grace all day. Oh, I live in a day of grace. We live in a day of grace. Absolutely, we do. And we need to learn what that word means before we run out of time. Grace doesn't mean we can live however we want to live just because of Jesus' Jesus's death. 
Jesus' death gives us the freedom to say yes to the Spirit, to be resurrected in the Spirit. So now we have the mechanism, the tool, the empowerment to walk in holiness. It is holy living that proves that we are walking in the Spirit. Not the freedom to do whatever we want to do. Holiness. What did God choose us Sometimes people stop right there. God chose us. He chose some to be saved and some not to be saved. Now what Ephesians 1 says is that God chose us to be holy. We don't come to Christ and live however we want to live. We come to Christ and then we live Christ. He doesn't just stop there. He goes on to say our holiness is positional, meaning that because we're in Christ, we're holy. And I love that. So if I say to you, are you holy? You'd better say yes, not I try. Jesus didn't try. If you're in Christ, you are holy. Amen? Hope, but here's the caveat. And without blame. Positional holiness isn't enough. You see, positional holiness manifests itself in reality, without blame, without blame before the Father. When, when the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. But also without blame in this world. Our lives are ordered in such a way that when the world sees us, they see the Son. Without blame. Christians ought to live in this world without blame. You know, you know how you have to do that? We're going to learn but one of the ways is to rid ourselves of selfishness and self-centered thinking. It's an identity issue. It's a lack of peace issue. It's a wrong pursuit issue. So it moves from positional holiness to actual holiness. So in the heavenlies we're holy. That positional holiness becomes our character. And when, when we take what we have from Christ and we live it in this world, it becomes without blame. So I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about how, how you live, the decisions that you make, how you represent yourself, who you represent, how do you communicate, how the world sees Jesus in you. Do you take the opportunities that look like the opportunities that Jesus would take? Who do you gravitate toward? What is it that you want out of this world? What causes you to be impatient? What causes you to be frustrated? What causes you to be selfish? And you can say, well, who cares? My identity is in Christ. But the truth is, holiness is the proof that you are indwelt by the Spirit. And the indwelling of the Spirit is proof that you are in Christ. And being in Christ is proof that you are favored. And so is your life a reflection of the life of Jesus Christ? I'm not trying to take your salvation away from you. I'm trying to remind you of who you are and the power that you have available to you if you are in Christ. It's time for us to remember that because there's a broken world who has forgotten or never knew. But he doesn't always tell, give us the he doesn't only give us the character by which we are to live without blame, but he tells us the motivation in love. Now, some translations, I don't doubt even some translations in here, the last part of verse 4 is in love, but it's a continuation into verse 5, in love God. But here's, 
you know, very, very important. The question is, where does in love belong? And the truth of the matter is, everything that God does is in love. God can't do anything apart from love. And so the in love belongs to verse 4, that we are to be without blame in love. By the way, that term, that way, with our positional holiness, is found five other times in the book. So God chose us, but what did he choose? He chose that we would live holy lives. And all humanity qualifies for this, not just positionally, but actually. Notice this. When God shows his love to us, it's grace. When we return his love back to him, it's holiness. That's how we prove. In fact, that's what 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 says. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. He chose us to reflect his love to the world by living holy. And secondly, he predestined us in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now again, this predestined is a restatement of the previous choosing in verse 3. That's very important because this is not a secondary predestination. Paul uses another word to express a elaboration of the first statement. So what we have is this. He elected us, predestining us, or in electing us, he predestined us. It just reemphasizes what he's already stated. And, and, and the word predestined means to mark off the boundaries, to foreordain, to predetermine. Those would be good translations. So what God did is for those who are walking in faith, he predestined or chose before the foundation of the world that we would move from slaves or servants to sons and daughters. God chose that. God's not trying to fix something. God knew before Adam took his first breath that he was going to reclaim us. Now you think about Adam's relationship with the father. Adam wasn't a son. But because of sin, God is able to redeem brokenness. Because of God's grace, he gave us what Adam never had. And that is an ongoing personal relationship. You see, if Adam had never sinned, he'd still be walking in the garden in and out of God's relationship. But because God is so good, he took Adam's darkest day and he made a new reality for us, which is that his presence is directly inside of us. Sons and daughters of God. Lest we forget what he does is Jesus actually gives us his position as a son of God. It says according to the purpose of his will, but this word purpose is pregnant with meaning. Eudokia means kind intention. It's found in the original language, but the word that is found in most English translations is the word telema, will. So in the Greek, it actually tells us that, that eudokia and telema are synonyms. And Paul does this. Paul just piles up synonyms. And God, because God's will is always filled with kind affection, most translators leave that part out. 
But it's very important for us to know this, that when it talks about God's will, it is God's kind intention or God's good intention. So we shouldn't begrudgingly be holy against our will because God isn't begrudging to give us his character. He wants to see us as sons and daughters. He's not reluctant to call us his children. He's not angry when we're in Christ. He is satisfied and content in a relationship with us. Beautiful. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Clearly what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus is the same thing he told the church at Corinth. That it is God's good pleasure to save those who would trust him. Not that he chose some and damned others, but that he chose the mechanism for salvation and faith before the foundation of the world. He does not play favorites. His expectation does not shift with culture. Very important for us to understand that. Since God preordained the manner of salvation before the foundation of the world, I do not care what news articles you read or what the news says or how culture changes. It does not affect what God foreordained before the foundation of the world, what manner Christians would walk in. We do not get to slippery slope with the culture that we live in. That is cheap, easy grace, and it does not equal salvation. So we come to this third phase, and I am almost done. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So he has called us to be holy. He has chosen us to be adopted spiritually. And he has called us that, and chose that we should praise and glorify his grace. So our salvation here affects us in our spirit, holy. In our physical bodies, we are adopted by him. And also in our emotion, that we should praise and glorify his grace. What a beautiful transformation. Paul is saying that our lives, our lives should be worship. Everything that we do, because we're walking in, this, in Christ, in the Spirit, and dwelt by the Spirit of God, everything we do has a Christ expression to it. Every word seasoned with grace, every thought captive to Christ, every moment walking circumspectly, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I just want to, I want to encourage you this. I'm trying to take anything away from you. I want us to remember who we are in Christ and I, and I don't want us to be satisfied with taking a cheap view of grace. I want us to understand that the only way to the craving of your heart is the, is the grace of God and on the other side of the grace of God is the peace of God. And that's the only way we can possibly be satisfied. And don't be satisfied with a substitute because it looks the same. It feels the same, but it's temporary. Active obedience Doing what the Spirit commands us to do, that's where we find satisfaction. Walking holy before the Lord our God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. And my challenge is this. There may be areas in your life that at one time you might have been challenged. But those, those challenges, that conviction has subsided. You've talked yourself out of it.
I don't know. I can't speak for all of us. I can't think for myself. But I want us this morning just to make a, a recommitment, a firm commitment and say, Lord, I love you. I recognize that you are for me. You are my blessing. And I want to live as a blessing. And if, and if that's our prayer, then we need to learn how to live in a spiritual reality, not in the temporary worldly reality. We have to shift our focus, shift our praying. Think about being a portal. What do people see when they see me? Do they see Christ? Do they see the blessing that God is to me? And I want us to make a recommitment. Maybe it requires repentance this morning or maybe a recommitment. I'm not sure, but I just want us to spend a moment with the Lord and ask him to search our hearts and reveal to us the beauty of what Paul has revealed to us, that God's favor rests on those who walk uprightly. Lord, we are your people. Not because of our bloodline, but because of yours. And I pray, Lord, that we would experience your favor. I pray that, especially this morning, we would have a, a moment where the Holy Spirit would have the freedom to prick our hearts. To shake us, Lord, to remember first loves. to remember who we are in you. I thank you for all the blessings that we have in Christ. We are so prone to forget. So Lord, help us today to plant an Ebenezer, a, a, a benchmark in our life today. Help us to, to say, yes, we will reveal we will reveal your kingdom in this world. So Lord, help us, help us to allow this world to fade. Help us to set our eyes on your kingdom. And then may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we be at peace and have your peace and give your peace away. And may the world know your grace as a result. Forgive us, Lord, for whatever we've turned this into. And now help us to go as ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed this morning. And I pray that as you go, you will go as ambassadors of his grace. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.